Welcome to Pack Talk Podcast, episode 97. We have some questions today. So, Ben? We got questions. Go ahead, let it rip. Questions. We're going straight into it. Yeah, we're going straight into huh? it. We don't want to waste the listeners' time. They well, want to get to the questions. They want to get to the content. You know, if they want to stick around for the bullshit, and they'll be after the content. Mm, okay. All right, so we'll go straight into it here. Don't forget to crack your... Crack your yeah, let me crack my Jocko real quick. Yeah, I figured I'd have time on the intro. That way, you got your your uh, juices start flowing. I'd figure as you're asking me the questions, you saying I'm not juiced up right now. You said you're not juiced up. You're the one that asked me for a Jocko. (laughs) Hey, do you have any extra Jockos? I'm not. Any extra Jocko goes? (sighs) That's good. I have not seen these questions. Chad hasn't seen these questions. We're going going raw, totally blind, raw dogging it. Totally blind. Raw here. dog in these questions. All right. So first question would welcome some. This comes from Janet Golick. Hmm. Would okay. welcome some advice on getting my dog to walk, to heal. Really likes to pull on leash. So we got a leash puller. Got a leash puller. How do you handle it? Uh. Well, you got to build a training progression for resolving your leash pulling. We've done a podcast on training progressions. We've also done a podcast specifically on how to teach your dog to walk on a leash. So make sure we can put that in the description. Yeah. The link to those. Yeah. But the real quick and easy way you're going to do that. First of all, you just have to understand that dogs have a natural opposition reflex to a leash and collar. So whenever they feel that tension on their leash and collar, it basically starts when they're a puppy. The first time you ever put it on them, that natural instinct takes over and then it just escalates for the rest of their life. And then you start adding in distractions that make the dog more aroused or excited in the environment. So it just escalates the leash pulling. So basically what you have to do first is uh, establish engagement. The way you're going to do that is just take your dog out to your normal training area, which could be your front yard or your backyard, for example. Or if you live in an apartment, like out to a grassy area, and you're trying to build up eye contact on your dog. So you're going to have some food rewards with you. If your dog looks at you, you're going to say, good, give him a piece of food. Do that repetitiously. Once your dog is able to start paying attention to you, then you're going to start luring your desired walking position or heel position for your dog. So if you want your dog to walk on your left side, you're basically going to take a food lure in your hand, lure your dog with that food lure to your left side, and start rewarding them for being on your left side. And you're going to do that repetitiously. All right, so that means your dog has to know how to move from, like in front of you, for example, to your left side. So you're going to have to lure that to build up their muscle memory with that movement. And you're going to have to lure them into that position while you're in forward motion like you're walking. Build that up over time through repetition. And then you're going to start implementing uh, corrections with your leash where you're just going to pop the leash, just tug and release on that leash. And so once your dog's muscle memory is pretty solid, uh, being on your left side walking on a loose leash, for example, if they ever decide to go too far ahead of that position or if they're ever pulling on the leash, you would just say no, quick pop on the leash, you know, lure them back to that heel position because you have to show them what to do after they get a correction. So once you start using the corrections, you got to show them what to do after they get that correction. So you lure them back to that heel position on your left side, for example, and then you're just repeating that until you get to the point where you give that correction, your dog starts moving back into that position on their own, 
at that point you're somewhat into a maintenance phase where now you're just going through your your day where if they come outside of that walking position that desired walking position you just say no correct them on the leash if they remain in that walking position that you like the place you want them at you say good you give them a reward there uh randomly so that you just continue to maintain that habit that behavior set with your dog okay so that's the quick and easy of how you would do that it's the quick and easy if you want more you can obviously if you want more information you could watch the youtube video you could listen to specifically the podcast that we did on teaching your dog to walk on a loose leash with a lot more details yeah all right moving on this question comes from sarah taylor how to deal with a dog reactive dog we started with a trainer who said to scatter food as the dogs walk by. He was a puppy then. Our now almost two-year-old Rottweiler is Mm. a lot stronger. Mm -hmm. From what I can see, he seems insecure or fearful as he whimpers between barking and lunging. He doesn't react to small dogs, only medium to large dogs. How can I build up his confidence? Thank Mm. you. Yeah, so back when you were working with that trainer, when he was a lot younger, he's got you scattering food. My guess is to try and redirect the dog or desensitize the dog. dog's walking by, which, uh, you know, theoretically that could work to a certain degree, um, but it's not optimal for achieving your desired result. Now we just have a bigger dog, and you're saying that he's a little bit insecure and nervous that could be the case it could also be he's just so habitual about reacting to dogs at this point specifically the medium to larger dogs and he's getting excitable by it so that's why there might be some whimpering between the barks and he just doesn't know how to respond in those situations so you're going to have to build a training progression that's going to help you achieve your end goal and I'll refer you to pod, uh, Pack Talk Podcast episode 96 for a detailed explanation of training progressions and how to progress from point A to point B. And you'll have to create a customized one for your specific scenario. But here are some steps that I would be considering uh, implementing. First of all, I want to establish engagement, which in order to establish engagement, I need to alleviate that distraction. So I need to train somewhere where I know that my dog's not going to be distracted by other dogs. That could be your front yard, could be your backyard. If you live in a house, if you live in an apartment complex type scenario, you'd probably need to get a little bit of a distance from where most people are walking at. Or, I've done this before, you might have to load your dog up in your car, drive somewhere that's calmer to start building up the engagement. You could also do it inside your house, inside your apartment. But basically, we have to begin to establish eye contact on us from our dog. And the way you're going to do that, ideally, is you have your dog on a leash, you have some food in your bait bag, you're uh, just holding the leash, and the reason why you're holding the leash is so that your dog cannot blow you off and walk off, right? They're going to get kind of bored if they're looking at other things around you, then they'll start looking at you. Optimally, we want our dogs to look at us without us asking for them to look at us, but if you're struggling with that, you can definitely start saying their name to to initiate some eye contact and then stop saying their name as you continue to progress but this engagement the sustained eye contact on you is your first step okay because if your dog doesn't want to pay attention to you 
It's not going to when you need to teach it things, right? And we need to teach it to start ignoring other dogs. Okay, so you establish the engagement. <clears throat> then what you need to do is start increasing the level of distractibility where you're doing your engagement at. So if, let's just say you live in an apartment, for example. You're doing it inside your apartment, okay? Now you're going to need to go out to your general apartment community areas because that's going to increase the distractibility. There might be squirrels out there. There might be birds, other small animals that may distract your dog. There could be other dogs out there that may distract your dog. Now, when this is happening, you're going to have to focus on your distance to distraction, which we call threshold. Okay, so let's say you are 10 feet away from another dog. Your dog cannot remain focused on you. So they start doing their barking thing, their, you know, whining, uh, you know, excited, excitability thing. That means you need to increase your distance from that dog to reestablish engagement. So if that happened at 10 feet, maybe you have to go to 20 feet. Now at 20 feet, maybe your dog can start to pay attention to you. You know that your threshold to other dogs is 20 feet. So you're practicing your engagement at 20 feet from other dogs. And then as time goes on, you slowly reduce your threshold to where you can get to that 10 feet and your dog not be distracted. Okay, so that's your primary focus is getting that engagement accomplished. But you also need to implement accountability so that your dog knows when they make a mistake, right? So if your dog does get distracted, you should be able to, you know, ask them to do something like come to you. And then if they don't come to you, you're going to have to implement some form of accountability, ideally a leash correction or remote collar correction to redirect your dog and communicate to your dog that what they're doing is wrong and that they need to be doing what you've asked them to do, which is coming to you. Okay. That could be for their safety in addition to the, the reactivity towards other dogs, which is bad behavior, right? So your progression in general is going to be building engagement and then going into some muscle memory for obedience work, teaching your dog muscle memory and obedience training because that you, you're, you would use that to your advantage in certain situations like what I just talked about, asking your dog to come to you, you know, if you're in a situation where you're really close to other dogs. And then after that, once you have that obedience basically comfortable with your dog, then you would be going into accountability and then you would be refocusing on reducing your thresholds even more. So that's just a quick and easy uh, progression for how you would start working on that. Obviously, there's a lot of details in there that you want to pay attention to. So that's why I would refer you to the Pack Talk podcast episode 96 to get some more of those uh, in the weeds details because this is just kind of a big view strategic picture of how you're going to handle that. Yeah. All right. Good to go. Uh, moving on. This question comes in from Melissa Bush. She says, how to deal with a pug getting his nails trimmed. Pug. He turns into a greased potato demon dog. <laughs> <laughs> Little pug situation. Pug, holy cow. <laughs> so how do we do the pug's nails there, boys? Well, it's just like any dog when you're doing nails. You got to socialize your dog to the nails. So first of all, we want the dog to have self-control, which means the dog basically can control themselves in different situations like stressful situations or situations where the dog gets aroused. Now the nails for the pug is a stressful situation, obviously, because he's starting to freak out. Sounds like he's more of what we call a mover, 
which means he gets active when he starts to stress. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to reduce that to being more calm, collected in times of stress. So one thing that will benefit you would be downstay work because the downstay is going to teach your dog some self-control. It's also going to teach your dog how to be calm. Okay. So downstay work, you're just going to be obviously teaching your dog a down command and then building a duration for that down command. Okay. And then it's also going to be teaching your dog some form of accountability if they get up from that down command before you've asked them to. That's generally how you're going to build that and uh, train that. But for the nail specifically, so there's like two things you could work on. One is your downstay to help with that self-control and knowing what to do in stressful situations. The other thing is working on the nails specifically. And that would be, first of all, simulating a nail grinding scenario without doing it. So if you're using a Dremel to to grind the nails, Mm -hmm. what you would do is let's say you decide to do that in your living room, all right? You would basically take your dog to that living room area that you do it. You'd bring all the tools with you that you normally do it with, like your Dremel, but you never turn it on. You never go for his nails. You just are hanging out in that area and you're randomly rewarding him with food rewards. Good, rewarding just for being tolerant of being in that area. Mm -hmm. If you start going to that area and setting up this you know, simulated scenario and your dog starts freaking out, that means it's a very deep rooted stress. So you'd have to alleviate something that's stressing him out, which means maybe not bring the Dremel that time, or maybe set the Dremel on a table a little bit further away from you guys. But you're just basically going to baby step it out, getting him more comfortable with that scenario. So what I would do, take him to that area with the Dremel or with the, with the nail clippers, not use them at all, just set them on the ground start rewarding him for hanging out with me, maybe lure him into some obedience positions, maybe work on my downstay, and then cut the session really short, right? And I would do that multiple times to get him used to just that general situation. And then what I'll be doing is the same thing, but now I'm increasing my criteria for the session. So now what I want to do is grab one of his paws, say good, give him a piece of food, let go of the paw grab a paw, say good, give him a piece of food, let go of the paw. So I'm repeatedly starting to increase the simulation of grinding the nails without actually doing it so that he begins to become desensitized to the situation. And then I'm going to start grabbing his paw, you know, messing with each nail without the Dremel. The Dremel is going to be off. The nail clippers are not going to be with in my hand. They're going to be on the floor next to us. And I'm just messing with his toes good rewarding him as we do it as long as he's having a good time and uh staying with me in that session if he ever starts to shut down during a session i'll alleviate some of the things i'm doing to make him more comfortable once he gets more comfortable and is taking food rewards from me i'll end the session okay but uh, i'll slowly over time increase the criteria of each one of these sessions until i'm able to turn on the dremel not touch his nails with it just turn it on good turn it off reward turn it on. Good. Turn it off. Reward. Then after that, I would be turning it on and acting like I'm going for one of his nails, but not actually go for it. Good. Reward. Okay. Repeatedly these types of things until I'm actually grinding his nails. That's how you would work on rehabilitating the behavior for, for good. Okay. That's just going to take a while. Mm -hmm. The quick and easy way, if you want to grind his nails, if you don't care about doing all that, is you go on Amazon, you get one of those dog harnesses. This is easy because it's a small dog. 
dog harness. You put them into the dog harness. You can basically pick them up with that with a leash or you can uh, pick them up with something else. Have someone pick them up in the harness and you can start grinding his nails. Of course, he's going to be stressed. Of course, he's going to be wiggling and making noise and all that, but he can't really do anything because this harness contraption has him completely hoisted up. He's completely secure in it. It's safe for him, but it just keeps all of his legs hanging so he doesn't have any traction with his legs. So that can be a way you can get him done without going through the full rehabilitation, but if you really want to rehabilitate his mindset, you're just going to take the time and go through the repetitions like I talked about. It does work. Well, I've done the <clears throat> I've done the Dremel without even using it with my dogs because mm-hmm. they don't like their nails being done either. Yeah. And it, you know, takes time, <clears throat> but in the end result, you know, a couple sessions later, you know, yeah. way better results. It definitely works. Yeah. <laughs> you're questioning. You're, you're, no, I'm not questioning. questioning. I'm backing you up. <laughs> I'm backing you up. <laughs> All right, moving on. This one comes from uh, Christy Annie. How do I get my seven-month-old golden slash Aussie to stop mouthing when we pet him? He has actually left marks, but nothing too bad. He didn't have a mom around. He is a rescue. He was found by someone at maybe 10 days old. Uh, WS and, and a foster home until he was two months. So whether he had a mother or not, this happens to a lot of people. Most puppies just don't know how to interact with us. We don't really teach them, maybe because we don't know. And so their behaviors just escalate to where their mouthing is actually causing pain or leaving marks on us, or especially with young children that have you know more sensitive skin than a, an adult their skin will be marked a little bit differently. So we just have to teach them how to interact with us. It's easier if you start this off when they're very young, but you know, let's say he's 10 months, 12 months, whatever, you know, it's better to start now than never. So what you're going to be doing is teaching him how to interact with people. So ideally what I do for this is anytime there's about to be an interaction, I'm going to teach him what I want him to do. So you could do this with food rewards, for example, by you know luring him into a sit asking him to sit rewarding him for that you pet him he doesn't mouth you good reward you can go that way and increase your progression and repetitions from there to where you're not using food long term and i know i'm talking a lot about using food and any training progression food is going to be ideally a good way to teach behavior but as you progress onward you're going to slowly start reducing how much food reward you're using you know people confuse it when i say that I'm using food rewards as I'm always using a food reward. I'm not, I'm using it to teach behavior. Once the behavior is taught, I'm going into a maintenance cycle with my food rewards, which means the dogs aren't getting that much food, but it is beneficial to teach a lot of behaviors with food. So that's what, that's one way to do it. The other way to do it is when you're interacting with your dog, you could have a toy and instead of mouthing you, you start playing with your dog with the toy. All right. That's, we're basically trying to teach the dog, that you can put your mouth on these toy things, but you cannot put it on people. And uh, either one of these methods, because your dog's 10 months old, in this specific scenario, there's going to be some strong habits of putting their mouth on your arm. So you're going to have to stop that. The way you're going to stop that is through uh, correction, right? And the best way to do that would be to have a very small leash on your dog's uh, collar. Ideally have a training collar like a fur saver training collar on your dog's neck have the very small leash it could be like 
four to six inches in length but you keep it like that because you want them to always be wearing this that way when they try to mouth you you can say no you can grab that little piece of leash and give them a little leash tug uh, to correct them from putting their their mouth on you in addition to the food rewards or the toys that you're using so those are going to be your ideal methods of getting that to stop very quickly now if they're doing that to other people you know when other people are coming over you want to do the same thing with the other people so anytime your dog tries to mouth other people you're saying no you're giving them a quick correction and then you should be showing them what to do after that which would be sitting or playing with a toy or going to lay down on their doggy bed or walking away from the people you literally have to teach those behaviors you have to teach your dog to stop mouthing which means you got to hold the line with not allowing them to do that that's where your leash correction is going to help you you have to show them what to do which is what you're going to do with your food rewards or your toy rewards so both of those are going to be great methods to accomplish that um, especially in your specific scenario where they're already 10 months old they've already been practicing this so now we take action and that's how we're going to do that all right good to go <clears throat> moving on this comes from betty cook betty says what is the best method <clears throat> excuse me what is the best m- excuse me we good <clears throat> let me take a sip of my jocko here yeah i'm losing it get your juices flowing uh, i'm not even talking that you just much wake up <laughs> no okay i mean i've been awake okay <laughs> uh <clears throat> frog in my throat anyways betty asks uh, what is the best method to train a solid recall dot 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 for a husky? Mm. <laughs> Lots of rumors on the interwebs about huskies not being able to be off leash, uh-huh. which are false. Mm. We've trained many huskies to uh-huh. be off leash. Yeah, and I do recommend you train every dog to be off leash because that's going to ensure your dog's safety when properly done. Yeah, I will refer you to Pack Talk Podcast ninety six, which is our detailed training progression podcast that basically tells you everything we're doing in detail i will also refer you to pack talk podcasts i don't know the episode number where we specifically detailed how to teach your dog to come on command which does apply to huskies step by step and so ben you'll need to find that one it might be 59 but i'll i'll 59 you just pulled that number out your ass no i think i got i think that might be it okay it might be 59 but yeah you can put that (laughs) in link in the description below yeah put it in the link (laughs) i'm pretty sure it's 59 i could be right anyway we had a podcast where we deep dive detailed how to teach your dog to come on command specifically so i will refer you to that but let me give you a very quick explanation of how you would do that we're going to have to build a training progression for that to get us from where we're at now to get us to our goal point and which means we need baby steps to accomplish the behavior first thing we need to do establish engagement so that our dog wants to pay attention to us next thing we need to do is teach our dog the basics of coming to us which is your muscle memory for that so you're going to be backing up you have your leash you back up you're calling your dog to you You have food in your hand. Once your dog starts moving to you, you say good. You give him a piece of food. You do that repetitiously. And then you're going to start using longer leashes to ensure your dog's safety while you're teaching this. Don't have your dog off leash if they're not going to come. That's basic. That's basic common sense. Don't take your dog off leash Mm -hmm. if they're not going to come on command. Yeah. 
So you're starting to use longer leashes. You're doing the same thing. You're backing up, calling your dog to you, using that leash to help you, rewarding them for coming. You're also doing it standing still, letting your dog sniff around. You say, come. If they don't come, you start grabbing that leash and, you know, using it to, to reel them into you, rewarding them when they get to you. And then at a certain point, you're going to need to teach them remote collar because that's going to be your safety factor when you're 100% off leash. So you have the long leash on your dog. You have the remote collar on your dog. Right before you say come, you just bump them on the remote collar at their lowest level they can possibly feel. So you just bump them on that. You say come. If they don't start moving to you, use that leash to bring them to you. Okay, Repetitiously doing that, rewarding them when they get to you until you're using a judgment call at this point. You feel comfortable when you bump that remote collar or they start moving to you immediately. Once you start seeing that behavior, now I'm starting to get more comfortable to actually letting them off leash because I know they know the come command. I also know they understand the communication with the remote collar. So that's your quick and easy how you're going to handle that specifically. Doesn't matter if it's a husky, doesn't matter if it's a Great Dane, doesn't matter if it's a wiener dog, a French bulldog, a pug, mm. doesn't matter because they're all dogs. And this right. is something that people get all wound up about and confused is that they think specific breeds, you know, have differences, which they do have some differences, but they all are dogs. They all operate like dogs. A lot of the trainers that I've trained, they get all antsy when they have like a aggressive dog that's a certain breed, a bigger breed, a scary breed or whatever. It's still a dog. They still all operate the same. <clears throat> so your principles of learning theory, your principles of how to train the dog remain the same. Yeah. Good to go. <clears throat> all right. This is a follow-up to the first question, but this person, uh, Ginger Kettle, says, how do you teach two dogs to walk and not pull? Two dogs to walk and not pull? Mm -hmm. You're going to do the same thing as one dog. And then what you're going to do, once both dogs are individually good to go at walking with each other, or once both dogs are individually good to go at walking on a leash, now you add them together. And whoever starts walking ahead of the other one, you're going to say no, give them a correction for that. And you're going to be juggling a lot because you only have two hands, you have two dogs. When I'm doing this, I'll generally have <clears throat> one leash to one dog in one hand, the other leash to the other dog in the other hand. Mm -hmm. And that way I can guide each dog with, the, uh, with their specific leash. And you're just going to have to repetitiously walk with them and fine-tune how they're walking next to you with those corrections. It's going to be very hard to add in rewarding. So that's why you need to make sure that both dogs are individually very good at leash walking before you start adding them together <clears throat> because you should be beyond the point of needing food rewards to, to solidify those behaviors together by the time you add them together. And then you're just fine-tuning their positions when they're walking together with their individual leashes until you're comfortable holding both leashes in one hand or having them both off-leash. So you're going to have to just baby step that out, take your time with it. Just remember... If you decide to skip steps, if you decide to walk both dogs together before they're actually ready to walk on a loose leash together because they're not good at it by themselves, you're just going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt your own progress because your dogs are going to be practicing the bad behaviors of pulling on the leash or getting each other amped up when they're together. 
So -hmm. you're just going to be hurting yourself if you try to skip steps or go too fast through these steps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got I got practice in that. <coughs> oh yeah, you got <laughs> Teach, two dogs. Teaching them to walk together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Next question, Marky Matina. Marky Mark. Marky Matina says, "What are the best practices for off-leash play if I notice my pup being a bully to mm-hmm. other dogs?" Yeah. So if you got two dogs playing and one dog's being a bully, you got to fine-tune that behavior. Mm-hmm. Like I said earlier, your dog should not be off leash if they can't come on command. And part of that process is having clear communication with them when they're off leash, which in my my personal opinion is making sure that they understand remote collar conditioning and remote collar application, which we've done several podcasts specifically on how to teach that, how to train that, why it's important, what it is. So I'm not going to go into those details. But if this is a problem, before... I start trying to tackle that specific issue. I need to go back, make sure that my dog can actually come on command. If not, I'll train that up. Make sure my dog understands the remote collar clearly in order to be off leash. So if I haven't done that, I'm backing up in my training and I'm focusing on that. Once I have those things accomplished, now I can start working on my dog's interaction with other dogs. And the easiest way to do this, what I've found, is if two dogs are playing, one dog's being a bully, I'm the handler of that dog being a bully, I say no, I use the nick feature on the remote collar, which is not a full correction, it's more of a reminder to the dog, so I can use that to literally, a little bit fine-tune their behavior. So let's say my dog's being a bully, I can say no, nick on the remote collar, and I'm looking for a change in their behavior from being bully to being more passive being more neutral with that other dog but still allowing them to play if my dog is not doing that i'll just call my dog back to me and end the play for a second so i'll just say come you know if they're not coming i'll say no give them the the standard correction on the remote collar once they come to me i'll put them in a down stay i'll let them take a break for a quick second my goal with that is reset their mind get them to calm down mentally then I'll say, okay, they can get up, they can go play again. If they're getting out of control, bullying, being too rough, I can use the Nick feature again. No, Nick, to try and get them to calm down their behavior. Again, call them back to me if I need to, but I'm basically going through repetitions of that until my dog is understanding that when they're interacting with these other dogs to calm down, be more neutral, not be a bully, that's just going to be the best way to handle that in my experience. If you're, if that's a real struggle and that method is not working, I might actually start getting a little bit more in the weeds with the dog by keeping a leash on them while they're playing so I can go over, use that leash to guide them and start working with them on how to be calmer. And basically, if they're being too rough, too much of a bully, I can pull them away from that scenario let them back into the scenario, you know, as long as they're calm, they can remain there. If they start getting rough being a bully, I'll pull them away again. And that's just going to take repetitions of doing that so your dog gets the picture to be neutral and calm and not be a bully. And that just takes time. So you can definitely fine tune that. I've done it with many dogs, but you got to be willing to take the time. You also have to be 
you also have to have access to a dog <clears throat> that's good with you working with them on that. You know, like your dog and you can work on it, but the other dog that's getting bullied, you don't want to overly bully that dog. So maybe it's your own dog. That would probably be okay. But if it's your friend's dog, you got to make sure you have clear communication with your friend. Let them know that you're working on this and, you know, be appreciative of their patience with your dog being a little bit of a bully as you work through the behavior together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. We'll pivot in over to uh, Instagram questions. Okay, we got Laurel Laurel Hayes, who has a couple questions for us. The first one is, what are your thoughts on Thunder shirts and helping to ease separation anxiety? So, <clears throat> Thunder shirts seem like they could probably keep your dog warm if it's cold outside. <laughs> it's cold outside right now. I don't think they help with anxiety at all. Oh. So, I think really with anxiety, you really need to focus on your specific protocols to reduce that mental state to adjust that mental state so if i have a dog that's anxious of thunderstorms generally i won't let them practice behaviors that let them remain anxious so an anxious dog wants to get up they want to pace around they really won't sit still or maybe they'll go hide in a corner of the house or something all of these behaviors when your dog practices them <clears throat> just enables <clears throat> you gave me the fr- you gave me the frog. Take a sip of your Jocko. Take a second. <laughs> the uh, the behaviors that your dog is practicing are enabling them to remain in an anxious state. It's increasing their anxious state. So, as a responsible dog owner, dog trainer, dog handler, I'm trying to reduce their anxiety over time. Which means if I find them or see them going into an anxious state, like pacing, hiding, those types of things. I'm going to have to redirect them into something that's going to be more suitable for them to handle that anxiety with. In general, for me, that's going to be a spot command where I have a pet cot and I'll just tell the dog to go over to the spot, lay down, stay there. Once they calm down, they can get back up. If I start noticing more uh, anxious behaviors, the pacing, the constant moving around, the hiding in the corner type stuff, I'll put them back on the spot. Another option is the kennel. You can put them in their kennel, let them hang out in there. Those are going to be your main options, all right? Um, But as far as Thunder shirts go, I'm not a believer that they actually help with anxiety. I think that they, you know, look nice. They could keep your dog warm if it's cold outside. But for actual anxiety, not going to help you long term. That's my perspective. It does sound like she's dealing with anxiety or insecurity because she does follow up with another question with what is causing my dog to sometimes tremble? He is not cold. He will shake like a leaf. So it definitely sounds like. There's a couple things that could make a dog tremble. Number one, that could be anxiety for sure. And if your dog's just trembling but not pacing around or anything, I would still just put him on a spot command. Yeah. Or a downstay or a kennel. Another reason why a dog could be trembling is insecurity. Something's just got their nerves going, whatever it is. <clears throat> Another reason a dog could be trembling is just, you know, conflict mentally where it's starting to, they're starting to move a little bit. Yeah. So all, all those things I'm basically going to handle the same way. I'll put the dog into some sort of obedience, which if I'm in a house, it's probably going to be a spot command, a downstay or a kennel. If I'm out on the street, could be a downstay could be walking in heel position, things like that. 
as long as my dog's doing those behaviors, you know, if they're still trembling, I'll just let them ride it out because they're working through things mentally. They're processing things mentally. It's going to help me in the future if I keep them in those obedience positions. Mm -hmm. Um, But one thing that will help me long term, more sessions of eye contact, more sessions of engagement so that my dog, when it's in that conflict state, it just starts looking at me versus looking at whatever is distracting it. Let's just say it's a dog that's distracted by something. Or if they're getting anxious about something or insecure about something, they decide to look at me instead of focus on whatever is the source of that anxiety or insecurity. And the other thing that a lot of people do with anxiety or insecurity, like with thunderstorms, for example, a lot of dogs will want to go and like get up all over the owner. So if you're sitting on your couch, there's a thunderstorm, your dog comes, jumps up in your lap, you know, curls up real tight on your lap, you know, your dog's basically uh, using you as a source to help them work through their uh, anxiety or insecurity. I don't necessarily think that that's a, I'm not 100% opposed to allowing my dog to do that, but usually I want my dog to be able to work through some things on their own with healthy separation from me so if i notice that that's going on again i'll use that spot command that's normally what i'm doing in the house or use a downstay command your dog's still in the room with you but you've got some healthy separation and your dog's understanding that even in a thunderstorm nothing's going to hurt them they're going to be okay you know to do something that's going to be calming for them which a spot or downstay is a calming behavior so yeah okay another thing people want to do in this situation they want to medicate their dog Mm. that's not necessarily going to help you uh they also want to give their dog cbd oil all this kind of stuff all these things they're not going to help you like really just helping your dog to work through it with a spot command or a downstay in most situations yeah all right last question from laurel here she says (sighs) after introducing a dominant dog to a human guest how do you transition from the guest giving commands slash walking said dog to just relaxing in the same room or the guest re-entering the same room? You know, your house is <clears throat> your pack. If you have a guest over, the pack rules still apply. You know, dominant dogs, sometimes they want to control things. So what I'm doing what I recommend for everybody that I work with do, or everybody in general, maintain your pack structure, maintain your boundaries, your rules, your expectations. So if I've trained a dog and my dog is walking around the house off leash with guests, that means that I've got my remote collar communication complete. That's my off leash communication with my dog. In case they break a boundary, I'm going to use that remote collar to communicate with them that they've broken that boundary through a correction. So I've got my remote collar, my remote on me at all times. Yeah. And so if I've got a guest over and my dog's walking around, it's hanging out, but now my dog crosses a boundary, maybe my dog barks at a guest. Maybe my dog rushes at a guest. Maybe my guest tries to sit on the couch and my dog runs over to them, you know, in a dominant type fashion. I'm not letting my dog do that. I'm going to say no, bump on the remote collar, adjusting my stimulation levels up or down as needed to make sure I get that effective correction. And as soon as I do that, then I'm going to redirect my dog into something that is okay for my dog to do. So 
If my dog charges a guest, for example, I say no. I bump on the remote collar, adjusting that level as needed. And then dog, go spot. Dog, come. Dog, down. You know, Because mm-hmm. that obedience <clears throat> is going to help me redirect that dog into something that is good for that dog to be doing, good for that dog to be practicing. And if you can be consistent with that across all members of the family, your dog will stop doing these dominant things and will do these things that are your pack rules. But if the dog is able to practice these things, you know, like being disrespectful to guests, for example, it's not getting held accountable for that, you know, or maybe sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen, then you're fighting a uphill battle because let's say you, you're able to do what we talked about, give a correction, then redirect your dog. Let's say you do that one out of three times this happens, there's still two times where your dog's getting repetitions of bad behavior in, which are outnumbering your repetitions of good behavior the way you want it to be done. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> if it's too much of a challenge for you when you're having these guests over, you could always manage your dog by putting them in a kennel while your guests are over mm-hmm. and then when your guests leave letting them out right that's something that you can do there's nothing wrong with that yeah just before or after your guest comes make sure you give your dog your fin- m- mental physical exercise uh so that their instinctual needs are met you know yeah but ideally we want the dogs to understand how to behave around people maintain the pack boundaries and so make making sure they get an effective correction making sure they're redirected after that is going to communicate with them how to perform in those situations. And what you'll find is that your dog will just start going to their spot on their own. And then it's your responsibility to make sure your guests aren't messing with your dog, Mm. especially if your dog doesn't want to be messed with, if your dog's not that kind of dog. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? Good point. Yeah. So a couple of layers to that, but just keep in mind, your dog will keep doing whatever it's practicing, whether that's something you want them to do or not. Yeah. So if there's any bad behaviors that your dog is performing, any behaviors that your dog is performing that you don't want them to perform or that you don't like, you've got to stop those behaviors. And after you do, you know, your full training progression, you've got your communication tools, you've got your remote collar, you've got your obedience commands, you've got your random rewards that you're going to use to help you get there. <clears throat> if you haven't completed a full training progression, well, then you're going to have to start doing some legitimately serious training to get on the path you want to be on with your dog it doesn't have to be the full thing that we do yeah it just has to be to get you from where you're at to where you want to be and once you get there you have to maintain that yeah but it'll be easier be easier yeah you know it'll help you do that though jocko ghost energy (laughs) drinks clean energy yeah helps you stay in the game that's why that's why i needed one this morning yeah i had to call chad tell him to grab me a jocko before we start recording next time you're bringing the jockos yeah (laughs) all right moving on next question this one comes from nina decker she says hello from a local somerville gal and her gsd my almost gsd gsd german shepherd yeah not gsp no she says gsd gsd german shepherd So her almost two-year-old GSD is very attentive and listens well to her, except for when a Frisbee is around. Mm. Her body language is always directed to wherever the toy Mm -hmm. is and uh, has a hard time focusing on me. I try to train her obedience commands with the toy in the general area, but it's still a struggle Mm -hmm. and we both get frustrated. 
How can I direct my dog's focus on me in the presence of the Frisbee or distractions in general? This is a good question. It's a great question. And Nina's really working hard at it. Yeah. You basically have two types of rewards with your dog. You have a low arousal reward, which means it's something that your dog can th clearly think and operate with. Then you have your high arousal reward, which in this case for you, Nina, is the Frisbee and your dog, where your dog cannot think in the presence of that reward. It's so valuable to them, and they can't process information, okay? Um, very common with like a working style dog. Obviously, we have a German Shepherd in this situation. Uh, sounds like a good bloodline yeah. if we've got this level of arousal yeah. with this high arousal reward. So just keep that in mind. You have low arousal rewards, then you have high arousal rewards. So we want to teach behaviors with our low arousal rewards, which it sounds like you've done. That means we're using our food rewards to teach behavior through a full training progression. Once we complete that full training progression where we've done our obedience, we've got our engagement, we've got our remote collar communication, we've got our distraction work, our socialization work, all that's done in low arousal yeah. so that our dog can think clearly and we can pattern the proper behaviors and teach the proper habits. Once we have that accomplished, ideally now it's time to work that dog in high arousal and help them know what to do when they're in high arousal. One thing I like to do, is, I think we have some old YouTube videos of me doing this with uh, my, my Dobermans. But mm -hmm. one thing I like to do mm -hmm. is a formal look command. All right. Again, I'm teaching this in low arousal so that I can proof it in high arousal later. The reason why I like doing that with a working dog is because, because they get into so much conflict in that high arousal mode, that look command helps me begin to teach their train of thought once they understand the formal command for look which which is boom to to look at my face and then i can start working from there so i'll teach them a formal look command in low arousal then i'll go into high arousal and teach them to look now the reward at that point once you're in high arousal with the high arousal item the reward is not food the reward is getting access to that item, which also means I have to teach my dog how to release on command or out on command mm -hmm. when they have that item. So the easiest way to do this, you teach that look command and then, you know, you go out to your training area. You have your high arousal, air, uh, high arousal item with you, which could be a ball in some cases. In this case, it's a Frisbee. You ask your dog to look. They're going to be in conflict. It's going to be a struggle. But do not let them do anything. Just tell them to sit, tell them to stay, tell them to look. Put that Frisbee behind your back. As soon as your dog can establish eye contact on you, you mark that behavior with what, with your terminal release marker, which could be yes. For me, for uh, high arousal items like a ball, I'll teach a whole new marker, which in my case would be fetch, which means they can go get the item, bring it back to me. And not to get too in the weeds on yeah. dog training and all the specifics. You know, if you want those specifics, you can call me. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about it. But for the sake of this podcast and keeping things as simple as possible, mm -hmm. I'm going to teach a, a new marker that tells my dog it's okay to release from that command 
to go get that item, but then you bring it back to me and you can hold it until I ask you to let go of it again. Yeah. The reason why I teach two, two markers for rewarding terminal release rewarding one is coming to me. So when I say, yes, you're released from behavior. Now you come to me. When I say fetch, you're released from behavior. Now you go to the item and then you come back to me. So those are two behavior sets. So I'll teach a marker for each one of those. Anyway, so I've got the Frisbee, got it behind my back. As soon as my dog is able to establish eye contact on me just for a split second, even fetch. Then I throw the item. They can go get it. You know, they can run around. They come back to me out. And then I put it back behind my back, look, and I'm basically doing that on repetition until they start to get the idea, right? You'll see it click in their brain. Oh, I just need to do this behavior to have access to the Frisbee. Mm -hmm. I'll start doing that with other obedience positions, other obedience commands. Once that look is pretty solid, this is all helping my dog to understand how to think and operate in high arousal. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Up until this point, though, most of the time my dog's going to be close to me and, you know, looking at me, operating with me in order to access the Frisbee. Now, there's another thing I need to teach my dog how to do, and that's how to move away from me in order to access the Frisbee. Yeah. The dog knows I have the Frisbee. The dog wants the Frisbee. They know what to do to access the Frisbee at that point. But now I'm changing up the whole game in their mind. It's a whole nother level of thinking for the dog move away from me, move away from the Frisbee in order to access the Frisbee. The easiest way to do this is to use your spot or your place command, whichever one you're using. Generally going to be a pet cot is what I recommend. Set your pet cot out in your yard, walk a couple feet away from it, say your, your command spot or place, whatever one it is, your dog's going to be majorly confused. Oh yeah. You know, you can take a couple <laughs> steps to your spot, to your place, your pet cot to help your dog get there. As soon as your dog does it, boom, you yeah. know, fetch. Now you throw it. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to start increasing your distance. So that your dog actually has to move a significant amount of, you know, yardage to get to that spot. As soon as they hit the spot, now they can release into the, to the toy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you could change it up to other items, but those are kind of the, the key factors of how to get your dog to operate. Another one that's really hard for dogs to do when they're in that high, high arousal is walking in a proper heel position. So you'll want to work on that as well. But when you're working on things at this level, with this level of dog, your toy is your reward. And then going from there without getting too complicated, you're going to then start having a remote reward, which is a reward that's away from you. So we've taught our dog how to do all these things, how to think with the reward with us. We've taught our dog how to think moving away from us now we teach our dog to think and do all these things we've been doing, but now the reward is away from us. Your dog will be tempted to look at the reward, to leave you to go to the reward, but they must be doing what you've asked them to do. You're going to use your remote collar, obviously, to help you with that, communicate with that. Um, but that's the next level after that is teaching a remote reward, which will teach another marker at that point, which means they can release from you, go get this thing, and then come back to you. Yeah. So that's just a whole nother level of, of training, especially with the high, high drive dog. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to work on that, just let us know. We're more than happy to, to do sessions with you to help work on that. Yeah. Good Since question. you're in the local area. Yes. Local Somerville gal. Local. <laughs> Hit us up if you need some help with that. All right. Moving on. This comes from H. Stefan 04. 
I volunteer at an area shelter, so I walk 10 to 15 dogs in one visit. What is the best way to handle the short time I have and still make it a good walk when they aren't pulling so much? They aren't aggressive, just hyper from being cooped up. They're pulling? She There's says they are They are pulling. How do I still make it a good walk when they are pulling so much? It's a shelter? Yeah, she volunteers at an area shelter. Mm. I'm assuming. Animals. Yeah, I mean, that's a challenge. A couple of things come to mind because, you know, we don't know how long these dogs are going to be there. They could get adopted or something. One thing you could do is work on leash pulling. Teach them how to walk properly on a leash. Even if you're not walking, let's say you're trying to walk these dogs for 20 minutes. You could spend 20 minutes with them working on how to properly walk on a leash instead of walking just straight for 20 minutes. That's still going to give them really good physical, mental exercise. It's going to give them some engagement with you. Okay, That will also help them long term if they do get adopted because you'll, you'll be starting to pattern behavior about how to properly move on a leash, walk on a leash. The other thing you could do if you're just wanting to walk more easily with them, you could probably get a little bit longer of a leash, like maybe 10 feet, 15 feet, long line. And let them move a little bit further away from you <clears throat> to the extent of that long line, for example. As soon as they get tight on that long line, I would just stop, give a little tug back towards you to try and initiate movement back to you. If a dog does come back to you, I would definitely have some food rewards on you so you can reward them for doing that. Then you can start walking again. That would just be a very quick and easy way to not have so much leash pulling, but allow the dog to, to walk more freely as you're going. So that's just two options for you. Okay. Uh, last question here from Annie Lors. Um, and she's got a longer uh, question here, so just bear with me. She says, I got a reactive dog because of fear, and I've been working a lot on her confidence. She's completely changed about it. I'm able to engage outside, which was impossible before. Her tail is no longer between her legs on her walks. Nice. She's more friendly, even with strangers, although she's always alert of our surroundings. But I was wondering, I've been working with the prong collar for her reactivity towards dogs, and every time we encounter one, I try to avoid any contact, interaction, or approach. I know she will lose it at a certain threshold, but still with, but still with some good distance, my corrections and redirections with my body... It's impossible to redirect her attention towards me until the other dog is no longer in sight. Any uh, advice on what would help? It's mostly with her fixating and tensing. It's mostly with her fixating and tensing won't stop until there's no dog in sight. Sorry, I might have. We're doing some work. Yeah, she's, she's working she's hard. She's got some good work. She knows the terminology. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in this case, the first thing that comes to my mind is teaching your dog what to do when you give them a correction. So you're using the prong collar, which can be effective. Um, but when you're getting to these closer distances, it's proving to be ineffective based on what, based on how we're interpreting yeah. this yeah. description. So we need to teach the dog what to do when we're, when we've given a correction. So that means we need to teach them uh, a behavior after the correction. So what I generally would do since you're walking in most cases it sounds like yeah it would be uh and you're gonna have to train this at a lower distraction environment again to make sure that it's solidified 
but I would teach my dog that after I give them a correction, so I would say, no, correction, you know, heel, look. So you might teach a formal look command to your dog because uh, you want to be able to give that command, especially in that high arousal scenario, and your dog be able to execute that command. And if they don't execute that command, you can correct them for not executing that command that you've taught them. Mm -hmm. So because your dog's so fixated on the distractions, we really got to flip a switch in their brain about how to handle that distraction. So if we go into a distraction place, we preferably want our dog, boom, just to look at us on their own instead of looking at this distraction. So as soon as they start looking at this distraction, look, you know, if they're not looking, no correction, Mm -hmm. you know, and then my dog should be looking at me after that. So that means I really need to solidify those behaviors away from the distraction of other dogs and then start getting close to other dogs again. The other thing that might be beneficial for you, you may be hitting your limit at the effectiveness of your correction with that prong collar. Mm. So, you know, I don't know how big your dog is. I don't know how hard you're pulling on that leash. I would hate for you to be just ripping into your dog with that leash, mm-hmm. you know. You're, it's frustrating for you. It's frustrating for your dog. You know, we're getting some headbutting going on there, mm-hmm. obviously, and we're feeding off each other's energy. So to alleviate that, I would look into getting into remote collar conditioning and remote collar application because that takes all the physicality out of the correction. You know, you're able to effectively communicate with your dog, but you don't have to be all physical, which can help you uh, limit your frustrations at the time. And if you take your time with this and teach your dog how to perform with the correction, you know, by looking at you, boom, that's their behavior after the correction. Look at you. If you teach them that, then you layer the remote collar on top of that, then you layer your distractions on top of that, you'll see really good results. It will just take some time. Mm -hmm. And if you're local to us, you know, reach out to us. If you're not local, still reach out because I'd I'd love to set up some kind of video call or something to help you get on track with that, you know. But that's basically what you need to do. Yeah. Which uh, we do have a dog coming into training soon. We might be able to capture some footage of of doing that so keep that on your list ben yeah for youtube that's about it with the questions (laughs) that's all you got that's all we got all right good questions yeah a lot of good questions a lot of people uh they're training yeah they're getting after it that's good they're getting after it it's good if you guys need dog training please reach out to us at canine revolution dog training we're more than happy to help you you can email us info at caninerevolutiondogtraining.com. You can call or text us 843-213-2676. We have your back for life. If you train with us, we're going to support you for the life of your dog. And, you know, we just want to help you. We have a passion for helping people, a passion for helping dogs. And it's not easy. You yeah, know, dog no. training is not easy. Yeah. Of course, you got easy dogs out there mm-hmm. that pick up things really quickly. You have a lot of challenging dogs, and we love helping people that have challenging cases, um, but it is going to take some work. You know, even if you went through one of our board and chain programs, there are dogs where it takes work at more work at home than others. Every dog's different. Every individual is different. We're here to support you for the life of your dog. Please reach out if we can be of any assistance to you. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast as well and giving us questions and things like that. We have a full staff of over 20 people. We're ready to help you guys, you know, around the clock care for the dogs that are here with us. And uh, we're good to go. Oh, yeah. Right. So reach out if you need help. 
Uh, we have customized programs. So if you're in the area and you want us to do a custom program for you, we can. Um, so yeah, just reach out, let us know. We'll, we'll talk about it. Also, Canine Revolution Apparel. That's our gear on Amazon. You can go to Amazon. You can type in Canine Revolution Apparel. You can get our logo on a shirt, on a hoodie. On a beanie. On a beanie, on a mug. On your forehead. You can represent. You want to tattoo it on your forehead. <laughs> Let's go. <clears throat> but we got dog shirts. We have guinea shirts. We have chicken shirts. We have good-to-go shirts, so you can be good-to-go. Mm-hmm. Those good-to-go hoodies, the heavy good-to-go hoodies, those are good. Oh, yeah. And it's cold, and now's the time of year to be wearing them. Yeah, you know? we're wearing them. You got a lot of color options, too. Mm-hmm. So now We got you covered on the colors. Yeah, let's get it. Yeah. You know, Canine Revolution Apparel on Amazon. Uh, also, we are affiliated with Origin USA. That's going to be your American-made, American-sourced goods, your jeans, your boots. Your pants. Your pants. They just came out with new pants, which Chris got me a pair for Christmas. Dad's wearing them. He's excited. He gave them to me yesterday. It's not Christmas yet, but he gave them to me yesterday. The dude doesn't even like Christmas. <laughs> He's like anti-Christmas. Yeah. And he gave me these. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, that's not, hey, he cares. He said, this is a friendship gift, not wow. a Christmas gift. And I was like, okay. Wow. <laughs> it's a Christmas but gift. But they are nice pants. Yeah. They're not jeans. They're they're another material. They're nice. They're warm. They're flexible. They're warm. They're durable. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I'm liking them. I'm checking them out. Origins also got MMA gear. They've also got exercise gear, which I want to get one of those, uh, like, because it's wintertime, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, like, cold. So yeah. I want to get one of those. Have you seen those exercise shirts where it's a long sleeve with, like, a hood, but it's, like, a lighter material? Mm-mm. You know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen it. Like a gym shirt? Like a, it's like a T-shirt hoodie? Well, yeah, but it's a long sleeve. <laughs> I haven't, uh, you I haven't mean, seen I it? don't know. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know. No, you'd know if I... <laughs> I don't <laughs> <Okay>. know. <laughs> anyway, I want to get one of those to try. Because yeah. I've traditionally just been a short sleeve guy in the gym. I'm not yeah. a big tank top guy. I'm just yeah. like a short sleeve guy. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are like tank top only in the gym. Uh, well, I mean, you got to show gym. the guns off. Long sleeve only in the gym. I'm trying to be concealed carry. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. But uh, I want to try out those <laughs> long sleeve shirts. Yeah. So anyway, Origin USA, you can use promo code SINGER101 at checkout for 10% off. It also supports the podcast. Our next affiliate would be Jocko Fuel, yep. which Ben's drinking a Jocko Go Clean Energy Was right now. It. You're done with it? Yeah, it's gone. Okay. It's done. We also just went to a local event. We went to a local 5K, mar- uh, it's not a marathon, but a 5K it's a race. 5K. <laughs> yeah. They had a big vendor village there. bunch of businesses were there. We were there. We brought our Jocko fuel with us. Yeah. We brought the uh, Mulk coffee. Yeah. Did you try one of those? I didn't try the Mulk. I snaked a couple of Jocko. There we go. You know? There we go. But, I mean, the booth was booming just because we had the Jocko. Yeah, we there. had the Jocko goes. We had the Mulk coffee flavor which is now it's brand new but it's got it's protein, protein and right. caffeine together yeah. combined mm. ready to drink you just pop the top <laughs> now you got 30 grams of protein and 95 milligrams of caffeine which is a cup of coffee yeah good sweet mocha flavor shit's good <laughs> and anyway we brought them out to the vendor booth and and yeah we were slammed yeah and we got the we're handing out the promo codes on a card we're handing out the dog training cards yeah so i mean people were loving it yeah you know mm-hmm. and people came up i love i love the jocko oh, fuel yeah, the jocko. you guys got the jocko yeah yeah we got it the jocko fuel they're made in america sourced in america it's going to support the podcast if you use our discount code which is canine revolution if you check out at jockofuel.com but they've got the clean energy drinks. They've got the clean protein, the milk 
protein. Yeah. They've got the milk cookies, yeah. protein cookie. They've got super krill oil, which is like fish oil, but better. Mm-hmm. They've got joint warfare, joint supplement. They've got cold war, cold war immunity supplement. Mm-hmm. They've got the testosterone optimizer, which you know I'm on. Mm-hmm. We talked about my blood work. Yeah. We know I'm on the testosterone optimizer yeah. and I'm optimized. Yeah. They've got the Jocko Time Ore, which is your anti-aging support for longevity. So we're on the train. So anyway, they got a bunch of stuff on there. They got white tea. It's good for you. So, I mean, he's got everything. Everything One good for you. One stop shop. 100%. Some could say. They got the greens. The greens get those micronutrients. The creatine. Yeah. So anyway, the pre-workout. They got the pre-workout. Mm, I got some. You said you're on it. I got it. Yeah. So they got what you need. So go check it out. JockoFuel.com. Promo code Canine Revolution for 10% off. We're also affiliated with Canine Super Supplements <clears throat> because with Jocko Fuel, it's helping us to fill the gaps in our diet. With Canine Super Supplements, it's helping us fill the gaps in our dog's diet. Mm-hmm. You know, because even if you're feeding your dog kibble, even if you're feeding your dog a raw diet, there's yeah. going to be some gaps in the diet. Yeah. If you're feeding those like things like farmer's dog, where it's like, refrigerated in a bag yeah you know i'm talking about Mm, yep or wet food there's going to be gaps in the diet and canine super supplements helps you fill those gaps you can get their multivitamin supplement it's all powder form so you just put a couple scoops in your dog's food based on the directions on the back they've got the joint supplement you know which is better than any other dog joint supplement you can find out there yeah 100 percent. bingo they've got the puppy puppy formula which supports puppies growing up. But also if you have an older dog, you can still give that to them, get some of those nutrients in there. Yeah. Then they have the weight gainer for your hard gainer dogs, mm-hmm. help them get that healthy weight on them. Yeah. So definitely check out K9supersupplements.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, supersupplements.com. Uh, discount code is going to be Canine Revolution for 15% off. Oh, yeah. And that does support the podcast as well. Fifteen percent off. I mean, that's pretty big. That's pretty good. <clears throat> I need to reach out to him. I want him to make his own kibble. Oh, the shoot. guy that owns yeah. that business, yeah, yeah. Dave. I was like, dude, you need to make a canine super supplement kibble mm. that has your supplements already in the kibble, built into all, it, yeah. all in one shop. Mm. That'd be legit. that would be good. So I got to hit him up. Yeah, throw that idea at him. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, anyway, we've got local partners. If you're in the Charleston, Somerville area. We've got Black Force MMA, which is going to be fitness, martial arts, wrestling, jujitsu, striking, all the above. We've got the Velasquez Company, which is Antonio. He's the owner. Anyway, they can do your painting, drywall repair, fencing, those types of things. We've got DT Mobile Detailing. Dave, David, he's a, a Marine Corps veteran. All right, he'll come to your house, to your business, to your office detail your car while you're doing other things you need to do. Yeah. Why would you try to wash your car yourself, clean it yourself when you can have David come to you while you're accomplishing your other goals in life, your other tasks that need to be done. You got two in one shop right there. And you're getting, yeah. And you're getting your car cleaned. And you're getting your car cleaned way better than you can clean it. Let's just say that. Oh yeah. Then we've got, um, who else we got? We got got a sharpshooter, sharpshooter, pressure wash. Sharpshooter Pressure Wash, that's technically trainer Josh Tipton. Josh's trainer, Chris's brother, technically. Technically. But same thing with David. You know, yeah. David comes to your house for your car. 
Josh comes to your house for your house. Yeah. For your sidewalks. <laughs> yeah. He'll also come to your business. Yeah. Right. If you own a business mm-hmm. and he'll clean that puppy up real quick. So reach out to him yeah. again. Why would you waste time buying a pressure washer, maintaining it, putting gas in it, keeping your hoses clean, getting bigger hoses, getting your chemicals? Why would you worry about that when you can just ask Josh to come out? You can't beat his pricing. Yeah. You can't beat his timeline. Yeah. You know, because I told him like, hey, I got a party coming up, you know, kid's birthday party this day. Are you able to pressure? I'll be there the day right before it. Yeah. yeah. You know, like that's how he operates. Yeah. You know, he's yeah, going to get fast. you in. He's fast. Yeah, he brings out. He's got everything on a trailer. Doesn't have to offload anything. Just brings out his his long hose. Yeah, he's he's got done. The setup. You know. Yeah, he's, he's done. The full setup. Very good price too. Yeah, I mean the best good. price. Oh yeah. So hit him up. We've got uh, Lanzara Defense Strategies, which is going to be your CWP, your defensive pistol, <coughs> and your CWP refresher courses. We've got Cane uh, Bay Chiropractic, which is going to be your spinal. Mm-hmm. Right, your nerve, exactly. Cracking you maintenance, up. exactly. We've got Carolina Premier Home Inspections, which if you're buying a condo, if you're buying a townhouse, if you're bu- if you're building an apartment complex, if you're buying a house, if yep. you're selling a house, yep. you call Bob. Him and his team come out. They let you know what's going on, hundred percent, no BS. Bob, hey. You go to a different home inspector. They're like, I can't get in the crawl space because they're fat. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or they just don't show well, up they don't want to get in there or they don't show late. up on time right? or they're not prepared right and so you're paying these guys to screw you over or they're not certified right when you when you call bob i mean he's a master inspector mm-hmm. he's definitely getting the job 100 percent good mm-hmm. to go yeah right? he's certified bob also has another business carolina premier pest control mm-hmm. which can cover all pest control facets that you need your your yard your house your mosquito control your termite control termite bonds all that kind of stuff so make sure you check them out yep. we've also got aqua fusion iv hydration that's in downtown somerville <clears throat> getting your nutrients directly into your bloodstream which i've been meaning to hit them up because i want to go see if they do uh certain nutrients yeah yeah certain nutrients yeah. i gotta ask them but definitely check them out you got the holidays coming up you don't want to be dehydrated you don't want to be malnourished. Yeah. You can go to Aquafusion IV Hydration, downtown Somerville, get yourself squared away, carry on with your holiday. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Bingo. And we're also working on our newest partnership, which is True Carts by McElveen and golf carts. Yep. You know, golf carts are booming. Booming. They've got golf carts that are being made in Somerville. Yep. 100% start to finish. Oh, really? Yeah. In Somerville. In Somerville. Oh, yeah. yeah. We know you like by, that. By a guy we trained a dog for. The guy that's making the golf course yeah. we trained a dog for a long time ago. Mm. We trained a dog for the True Cards owner. Yeah. You know, so anyway, that partnership's coming up. If you're if you're into golf carts, be be ready for that. All right, because that's a big that's a big one for you guys right there. Yep. But anyway, if you guys have any questions, please hit us up. We already gave you the Canine Revolution contact info. You can message us on one of our socials. Please rate us. Please review us. Let us know what you like about the show. Let us know what you don't like. Let us know what we could be doing better. Let us know topics you want us to cover. Okay? Until next time, this is Pack Talk Podcast. Out.